Take your Bible this morning, if you would, and please turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter number 26. While you're finding that, I just want to again uh, publicly express our gratitude and appreciation to your pastor and uh, your church here for your hospitality and being so gracious to us. We have thoroughly enjoyed our time this week uh, at this church. This will be the last meeting that we're actually going to uh, host up in this area, be a part of, and uh, we'll be moving, <clears throat> heading back to Arizona tomorrow, and so a couple of days trip there in our motor home. And uh, we've been on the road now for right at six months, so we need to see our grandkids. Someone said, what about your kids? Well, the grandkids come first now. Uh, the other three abandoned us and moved out and got married and left us, so they send us grandkids now. So um, we have nine grandchildren. We're anxious to see them as well as our own children and uh, to be able to get back and visit our church because we're only just about uh, 60 days out from hosting our own Faith Promise Missions Conference. And I've been so excited this week about this one, I actually filled out a card. <laughs> just leave it here. <laughs> All right, so... so um, Brother Abel's, we were down in his church in uh, Springfield, and he had allowed us to park there because we had some meetings in that area. We were there about a month, and we were attending on the off nights his church or the off services, and uh, he said, Brother, he said, after you've been here for like 30 days, we require you to join the church. And uh, he said, do you think that'd be all right? I said, I don't know. You can call my pastor and uh, see if he's willing to take uh, 5%. And that way I can stay, keep my membership there and 5% at your church. And I said, I don't think he's going to do that. And plus my missions and so forth. He said, well, I'll call him, see if he'll split it right down the middle and let you be a member here when you're up in this area. And you can be a member back down there as well. I said, I don't think that's going to work. But anyway, um, we're always a joy to be in churches. Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 6. <clears throat> and I'll just read down through verse number 13. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Father, again, we are so grateful that we have the privilege and the opportunity to come and be here in this great church and uh, to worship you today. Thank you for every faithful family and member of this church that's here, as well as those who may be visiting today, I pray that they might find this church welcoming and loving and uh, receiving of them. 
I pray that, Lord, if there's anyone here that is even contemplating finding a church, that, Lord, uh, I know if I lived here, Father, I would join this church. I'd be a member of this church because of their love for this community and their uh, concern about the souls that are here. And, uh, Lord, uh, I just pray that you would lead and guide in those areas. And then, Father, if there's even one that's here today that's not saved, they're not sure about where they're going to spend eternity, that today might be the day of salvation for them, that you'd give them the grace and the strength and the ability and the faith to come forward and allow us to take the Bible and show them how they can have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that, Father, that you'd bless the message, uh, that you'd use me, speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> I'm fighting a little bit of my voice this morning. I don't normally get up and eat Cheerios, but I did this morning, and anytime I get milk, it, it, it's, I struggle with it a little bit. So anyway, thank the Lord that I got to eat Cheerios. And uh, I want you to look back at verse number 13. There's a, what I believe is kind of an uncanny um, connection that God is making between the preaching of the gospel and the actions of this woman. <clears throat> and I think there's a reason for it, and I think he sets her up to be a memorial to us uh, and what she did in reflection to what the gospel does. And also there's a contrast in this passage of Scripture that sometimes that we don't always see, but there's another group of people in this little section here besides the woman and besides the voice of Jesus speaking to them, and that is his disciples, which made up his first church. And uh, the attitude that they had uh, is a contrast to the attitude that she had. And I really believe that what the Lord's doing here is he's saying that everywhere you preach this gospel, I want it also to be known what this woman hath done as a memorial unto her. And, and, and I think what he's trying to say to us in a sense that there's a connection between what the gospel is, which is really the, the outpouring and the uh, expendability of the Lord Jesus Christ for our souls and his love for us that's all wrapped up in the gospel, the death, his burial, and his resurrection. And when we go out and we preach the gospel, we really are letting people know uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so when we, when we think about preaching the gospel, we're really, letting, we're really letting people know that Jesus Christ poured out himself. He came here voluntarily. It was no obligation for him to do what he did when he came to Calvary. There was no obligation on his part as God, uh, even though he's the creator of mankind, to come here and love us and try to save us. He didn't have to do that. <clears throat> this was all voluntary on his part. And I really believe that the actions of the woman that, uh, who has basically been a recipient of the gospel herself is now acknowledging the same kind of thing in that there was no obligation in a sense on her part to do this. It's completely voluntary out of her love and concern and appreciation for what the Lord had done for her. And I think what he wants us to do is that He's setting her up as a memorial, or at least her actions. Let's not 
It's not her he's setting up. If you look at it again, he says, there shall also this that the woman hath done be told for a memorial. This woman did not come with the idea that she would be memorialized uh, but or even that her actions would be, but the Lord saw that what she did was a good work, and it was a good thing. And he wants others that have been recipients of the gospel to follow in line with her. She's a great example of really what every one of us need to be if we've been saved. We ought to, we ought to be willing to be just like her. And when I think about this, I, in contrast to the disciples here uh, and the attitude they had, I see them as kind of like just an average type of Christian. Um, somebody that doesn't have the right attitude yet. And I, and I, and I understand we're all at levels of, uh, different levels of spiritual growth. Not everybody here is at the same level. A person's newly saved is just a baby in Christ and, and maybe not have the same commitment and level and sense of expendability yet. Uh, as somebody who should be after they've been saved for many years. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Is that we're, we're all at different levels of spiritual growth. I understand that, but let me say this to you, that, that I believe it's the desire of every pastor that I know, and including myself when I pastored, it's the desire of every pastor that regardless of what level of spiritual growth you're at, that it is God's desire, and it should be your desire, to rise above being better than just an average Christian. In other words, I want to do more than just the average person. I want to rise above that. I want to be extraordinary. I want to leave my mark. I'm not looking to be memorialized, but I do want God to recognize that what I do for him is out of love and expendability because of what he did for me. And, 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 and when, we, when we finally incorporate that in our mind, we go from being just an average Christian and rising above that. And so I want to just sort of have you think along that line this morning about whether you consider yourself just an average Christian, or do you feel like you have the desire to rise above just being average? Several years ago, I had the opportunity, along with my wife, to visit uh, Canton, Ohio. She had a relative there. Her sister used to live there. If you've ever visited Canton, Ohio, you know that's where the National Football Hall of Fame is located. And if you've ever gone to the National Football Hall of Fame, it's a place that pays tribute and honor and memorializes really the best in the game, as well as the managers as well. They pay tribute to that because of their extraordinary performance in the game of football. When, when I visited there, it takes a while to go through all of that, they sometimes will have a bronze head of the, that resembles the player or the manager, maybe their jersey or uniform or helmet or shoes or whatever, video footage uh, that can be watched uh, of their outstanding games and performance as a player. And they're only in the Hall of Fame. They're only being memorialized because they sacrificed more than the average player. They gave more. They poured themselves into the game. They they were willing to work harder. They, they wanted to be the best that they could be. They didn't want to be an average football player. And can I just interject this before I forget about it? We do appreciate even at this point average Christians because it isn't just one guy or two guys on the field that make it happen. Even the average players contribute to the game of football. And not everybody. The thousands that play in the game of football 
uh, they're not in the Hall of Fame, and there's always those that rise above. And whether it's a basketball team or a baseball team or a football team or it doesn't make any difference, golf or whatever, they all have their Hall of Faith. They all have their Hall of Fame of those who exceeded to go above the average. You know, um, there's a commercial that's on television that uh, the lady takes her husband into the doctor's, I can recall it right, and she's concerned for him, and the nurse is standing there and said, let me ask you a question, how is this doctor? And she says, he's okay. And she went, just okay? You remember seeing that on the TV? Or maybe the woman that takes her car into the mechanic and, and says to the guy in the shop there and said, uh, how is this mechanic if he's going to work on my car? And she said, or he says, well, he's okay. And she went, just okay? Really what she was saying is, in both cases, is I would rather have somebody that's the best working on my car and the best operating on my husband than somebody that's just average. In other words, what we want, what we want and we, we could, I can see myself in that commercial because I would want the best if it's for me. I don't care what it is. I don't want an average mechanic. I certainly don't want a, a doctor that comes out and said, well, how are you doing? Well, I'm a little scared. Well, so am I, you know. But we'll get over it, you know. <laughs> really? How about sending me somebody that's not just average like that? And why is it that we always want the best for us, but then when it comes to giving our best for the Lord, sometimes it's only the average. In other words, we're willing just to give our average. We're, 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 you know, how are you as a Christian? Well, I'm okay. Just okay? Shouldn't we be better than just okay? Shouldn't we want to do our best? Now, we're not doing it like maybe football players so that we can be memorialized and our picture can be put up in the foyer or whatever the case might be. But I, but I would tell you this, that if we were to go back into the history of this church, all the way back to the days of Brother Williams, maybe when the church was planted, right up until this very day, there's probably been people that have come through this church that have left their mark, <clears throat> that have been better than average. It's why you have what you have today, because there are certain people that have sacrificed a little bit more and given a little bit more and poured themselves out a little bit more with no sense of obligation other than that they just have the same qualities this woman had. And, and then there's always those that, uh, that, that come through a church that come and go, and we sometimes don't even remember their name. They're here for a short period of time, and they don't leave much of a mark. And uh, they're just an average Christian, and we appreciate him coming. But I just think everybody here this morning should say, you know what? God gave his best for me. Then, brother, I ought to be able to give my best for him. And I understand that takes the grace of God, and I also understand it takes growth. But it ought to be the goal we're aiming for. And that is, I want to be my best. I want to do my very best. And so I want us to, very quickly this morning, I, I just want us to take a look at some of the things that motivated this woman to do what she did that got God's recognition and memorializes her actions in such a way. And, then if, I, and if I could just learn what it was that possibly from the text, what it was that motivated her to rise above the, 
the average, a rise above the attitude of these other disciples who should have really had the same attitude but did not have the same attitude. If I could just incorporate that into my mind, then maybe it would help me to get from being just average to being the best I can for the Lord. You see, I believe that we're living in a day today where the prevailing attitude in our society is to do the least possible. Uh, you know, the, 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 we're always bent on finding ways to make things easier for us, ways to do less, expend less, pour out less. Uh, maybe it comes because, you know, we have fast food. We've got the Internet now. We, we've got uh, uh, Amazon, you know, wiping out most of our malls in the Phoenix area because we don't want to have to leave our house to go get something. We can just pick up the phone and call it in and, they deliver it either that day or the next day, and we get it for cheaper. And so why should I waste my gas? Why should I expend myself? Why should I have to spend a lot of money to do anything? And we're living in a society that has that prevailing attitude is that you just need to find ways of not having to pour your most into it. And, 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 and I would just simply tell you that, you know, uh, that's, not, that's not the attitude that should come over into the church. But if we're not careful that prevailing attitude that's in our society can sometimes come into the church to where I'm not willing to give any more than I need to. Really, that's the attitude sometimes that it comes. Some people come to be served rather than to serve. They come to see what the church has for them rather than what they can contribute to the work of God. You know, you're either one or the other. You're either a spectator or you're a participant. You're either a consumer or you're a contributor. That's the way it is in the church. And you have to determine which one am I. Do I just consume everything for myself or do I contribute something back? Am I just sitting here spectating and watching and so forth? And can I just say this to you, that if all you are is a spectator, then you're going to become critical of everything that you see. I know that because I go and I watch football games from the stands and I'm a spectator, and I'm not participating on the field, and I'm standing there going, you shouldn't be doing it that way. You need to yank that guy out of the park. Come on, let's go. You know, if I, I could be the coach, you know. And I don't understand why they're doing everything that they're doing, because I'm just spectating. But, but, if, but if somebody threw me the football and said, well, come on out of here, big mouth, and come down out of the stands and get on the field and start playing the game with us, and you'll find out why we're doing what we're doing the way we're doing it. You know, that's the way it is. And so, you know, it's the same way in a church. If all you do is just watch, sometimes we become critical or, uh, you know, we want to see, we don't understand why they do things the way that they do. Come on board, play the game with us. You know, get, get involved and you'll see how it goes. So let's take a look for a few moments here at this woman in Matthew chapter 26. It says, now when Jesus was in Bethany in, how, in the house of Simon the leper, I want you to locate with me. I'm not going to go there just, uh, I'll be there momentarily, but I want you to find Luke chapter 7 because this is the same account of the same story in greater detail. Can I tell you this? You have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> Many of them repeat the same account or record or story in, in each of the writer of these Gospels give you a little bit different synopsis of the same story. They're not contradicting one another. They're just saying, this is how I saw it when I was there, 
And so they write it down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And then maybe Mark would say, well, this is the way I saw it. And so he'll include some things that the other guy didn't see or didn't leave out. And when you put all of those synopsises together, you get a, you get a complete picture many times of the event of what really transpired. Uh, so all we're really told in this one is that Jesus is in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And so uh, we find here in verse number 7, it says, There came unto him a woman. Now, it doesn't tell us in this passage here who the woman was, having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he set it meat. But, but, uh, but, but, but I, I put down here, there came unto him a woman. I was wondering, who was this woman that performed these actions, that performed this? Well, uh, I know if you go outside the Bible and you go to a commentary, most commentators will say, well, this was Mary Magdalene that broke her alabaster box and poured it out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I, I, I just believe that the Bible's the best commentary on the Bible, and the Bible actually tells us who it was, and it certainly doesn't tell us it was Mary Magdalene, but it does tell us specifically who it was that did this. So I want you to look at John chapter 11, and in John chapter 11, if you look at it for just a moment, keep your finger in Luke chapter number 7, but in John chapter number 11, and beginning in verse number 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Then he puts into parentheses so that he's saying, oh, and by the way, if you're wanting to know who it was that broke that alabaster box, well, it was that Mary. Mary, Martha's Mary, sister, which anointed the Lord with the ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Then he finishes it out. So he's saying, it was that Mary, Martha's sister, not Mary Magdalene. Now, I think it's important that we understand why, who the woman was, because when we understand who she was, we're going to understand better why she did what she did. Okay? So uh, there came under, uh, under this, the Bible says in our passage there, came unto him a woman. Well, you could write next to that, John eleven two, and that woman was Lazarus and Martha's sister Mary having her alabaster box of very precious ointment. But I want you to look at Luke chapter number 7, because here's the story in a little bit more detail. <clears throat> it says in verse number 36, of Luke 7, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Now this Pharisee that he's talking about here is Simon the leper. He's not told us that he was a Pharisee in the other passage, but in this one, he, it, 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 Luke feels that we need to know he was a Pharisee. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city that city being Bethany, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, this would be Simon the leper, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. So he's not saying this out loud. He's just having these thoughts. By the way, be very careful about your thoughts because there's one that can read your thoughts. 
And so he speaks within himself, and here's what the Pharisee says. He says, this man, speaking about Jesus, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. And it always amazes me, even though he didn't say that out loud, it says, and Jesus answering. <laughs> like Jesus said, I heard that. I know exactly what you're thinking. And so I'm going to answer you. And Jesus answering said unto Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. He said, well, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when he had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them would love him most? And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time that I came in, hath ceased not to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she hath loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I think one of the things that he's saying to the Pharisee here because my, my, my attitude is, is that he has the same attitude as his disciples. He's going to have the same attitude as somebody that, that, that knows the Lord. And, and, uh, and so he, he puts on the idea that he's having the Lord over his house. He's invited the Lord to come into his house. The Bible says he was Simon the leper. It doesn't mean he was a leper at that time, but probably was a recipient of the healing of Christ somewhere in his ministry. And so he was referred back to the fact that he was once Simon the leper and there was no other healing. So he was a recipient of something the Lord had done because he wouldn't have been in that house serving people if he was still a leper. He would have been cast outside the camp of Israel and put, put in a, somewhere else. So obviously he's received some of the love and attention and healing of the Lord himself and doesn't even see himself uh, as one who is a sinner and so he begins to judge this woman. She comes in, she breaks her alabaster box, she pours it out on the Lord Jesus' feet and over his head, and she falls down. When I read this passage of Scripture, and it talks about how that she began to, with her tears, I, I, I place myself there and just look at uh, her attitude when she came in, and she's pouring herself out, and she's pouring out this ointment out of complete adoration and love and attention to the Lord, letting her, him know how much I appreciate you, and I understand who you are. Keep in mind that this, this happens, by the way, six days before he's going to be crucified. So this is not at the beginning of his ministry. This is at the end of his ministry. And we already have an account of this woman who Mary, uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus at other times when we would pass from uh, Galilee and down through Jericho and come up that eastern traveled road there to, to Judea, he would often stop in Bethany in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he would fellowship with them. 
And we have an account where uh, he goes there one day and Martha is cumbered about with much serving and troubled over many things. And Mary, she's got things to do as well, but she lays down her vacuum cleaner or whatever it was that she had, uh, her broom, and she goes in and sits at the feet of Jesus. This is the same Mary who sits at his feet and, and takes time to listen to what Jesus has to say and, and learns from him and, and, and begins to perceive some things from him that Martha didn't even perceive. And, 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 I, and I believe that the many times that he'd stop by, it, it, it's obvious, it's just implied that it was always Mary who would sit at his feet and take that which was needful to learn that wouldn't be taken away from her and, uh, and, and she learned some things about who he was, and she came to understand that he was the Messiah and that he was the, the Savior of the world, and, and that she understood that she was a sinner and she needed to be saved, and he came to, to seek and save that which was lost. And so sometime in her, his ministry, he, he sought her out, and she gets saved. And now it's as though that she's been a recipient of the gospel herself. The gospel's been presented to her. You see, I'm a firm believer that you don't get saved without the gospel. You have to have the gospel. There's no salvation apart from the gospel. You, you, can't, you can't, that's why he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because it's a prerequisite for the Holy Spirit to take uh, an understanding, giving us an understanding from the word about why he came and why he died and why he was buried and why he res- resurrected and, and, how, and why he came here out of his love and voluntarily poured himself out. I mean, we come to understand that and the Holy Spirit begins to convict our heart that we're a sinner and we need to be saved. And so once we become a recipient of his love and his, his pouring himself out for us and expending himself, it ought to motivate us to say, I want to do that back to him now. I want to do something back. I want to give something to him. So I want to just tell you that the very first motivation that I see that produced this action in Mary was her own recognition of being the recipient of Jesus' love and sacrifice herself. I don't know exactly the time frame of when she was actually born again, saved. Um, Some are not chronological writers, even though they would record the fact that her sins had been forgiven, and and so forth. When exactly that happened, I don't know. And I don't pretend to understand all that there's involved in the sovereignty of God. I'm certainly not a Calvinist. I believe that Jesus is no respecter of persons. I believe that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe the Bible teaches that, that he died as a ransom from the, for the sins of the whole world. And I don't think that's just the world of those that are he elected to be saved. I believe the whole world means all mankind. I believe that when he died upon the cross of Calvary and held out his arms, it was as though he was saying, to, for whosoever would come unto me, I'll in no wise cast out. He was placing the sins of the whole world on him, dying for and making atonement for anybody that would simply come to him by faith and say, Lord, would you save me? He'd save them. I don't believe in a God that elects certain ones to go to heaven and elects everybody else to die and go to hell. I don't even find that in the Bible. And if you find it in the Bible, I can tell you what you're doing. You're, you're, you're pulling it out of a context that has nothing to do with salvation, but has everything to do. And you say, well, yeah, but the Bible talks about being elected. Yeah, I know it does. And the Bible talks about God predestined us. Yeah, I know that. But it's all in the context of those that are already saved 
and God has elected them to be saved so He can predestine them uh, to be conformed to the image of His Son. That He has chosen, that word elect is the idea of chosen. He's chosen every one of us that have become saved to be predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's not in any context speaking ever to uh, uh, when you speak in those uh, terms about somebody that's lost and they need to be saved, so God elects them to be saved. If that was the case, there would not be any free will of man. You know, you wouldn't have to make a choice. You wouldn't have to believe. You'd just be walking down the street one day and boop, hey, I guess I'm a Christian, you know. I guess I was elected. No, that isn't the case at all. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And the Bible says we're all lost. So if we're all lost, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that means he's seeking out everybody regardless of who they are, and giving them an opportunity to receive the gospel and receive salvation through him. And so uh, the very first motivation that I see that sometimes is lacking is maybe we don't think often enough about what he's done for us. I I said this this week on Wednesday night, I've been saved for 49 years, got saved in the Philippine Islands. I didn't deserve to be saved, uh, but I'm very thankful that he was willing to save me and uh, some uh, other airmen gave me the gospel. It took about three weeks for the Holy Spirit to finally convict me of my need for Christ. It wasn't like, one, two, three, pray with me, and hope you're saved. I'm gonna, you know, I, if that were the case, I'd have been putting my faith in a little prayer. But, but I don't put my faith in a prayer. Prayer is nothing more than a vehicle that God uses for me to communicate that, to him that I need to be saved. My faith's not in the prayer. My faith is in the one that I'm praying to. And I'm asking him to save me. And I can remember that night at 1130, September the 15th, 1970. I was charged of quarters that night. I was under such heavy conviction I couldn't stand it. I wanted to be saved. And there was nobody in the barracks. The guy that was showing me how to be saved, he was off somewhere doing something, maybe working on the flight line. And I thought, you know, I'm going I'm to get saved tonight at 12 o'clock. I'm going to wait for the high moon to come at 12, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to kneel down underneath the palm trees there in the Philippines, and I'm going to look up to heaven under the sky, and I'm going to cry out in this sanctimonious way and say, oh, God, save me. Save me right now under a full moon. Well, about 11.35 comes. I'm wondering, am I going to make it to 12 o'clock? Seriously. I was so scared I was going to die before 12 o'clock. I fell on my face at the couch inside the charge of quarters room. And I said, God, I don't want to wait till I'm 12, at 12 o'clock. Save me right now. I don't want to die and go to hell. You know, I wasn't even thinking about a moon at that time. Man, tears started rolling down my cheeks, and, and I, I started uh, asking God to save me, and I was telling him, I know I don't need to deserve to be saved, but thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life and pouring yourself out and loving me and desiring my soul so that I could be brought back into fellowship with you. Oh, God, thank you. Would you save me? Would you put my name in the Lamb's Book of Life so that when I die, I never have to worry about going to a place called hell, that I know I'm going to heaven? I didn't deserve to be saved, but he saved me anyway, and I'm so appreciative of it. So when the night I got saved, I had lived 20 years of my life for myself, uh, I had been a servant of the world, a servant of myself, a servant of my sin, a servant of unrighteousness. But when he saved me that night, I, I said, if you'll give me the grace 
Because, folks, it always takes the grace of God to do anything. I said, if you'll give me the grace every day of my life, I'll serve you now and pour myself out for you. I'll be willing to sacrifice more than the average Christian. I'm willing to go when you ask me to go. I'm willing to do. Right? What I said last night, if you'll help me to have a willing spirit, I'll do it. And for 49 years, it's not because I'm anything special. I'm not. But it's all because of his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the very first motivation that I see here that motivated this woman is that before she ever got to Simon's house, she knew that Jesus was in Simon the leper's home that night, and possibly some commentators suggest that Simon and Mary and Martha and Lazarus was, I don't know how they understand this, but there was possibly a relative connection there possibly, and maybe this, this family was also invited to come. I don't know. I just know that when she left her house, she left that house with anticipation and with expectation of going there. I mean, it wasn't like she, uh, you know, thought about it when she got to Simon the Leper's house and said, hey, I, I need to go back home and get an alabaster box and come here and pour it out on it. No, she came with the idea that this is what she wanted to do. I, I think, really, uh, our worship of the Lord would be so much better if we would come expecting to do something for the Lord rather than it, it's an afterthought. In other words, we come with anticipation like she did. And so she comes, and when she breaks this alabaster box, and she pours it out on his feet and his head, and she begins to weep with her tears, and she's rubbing her hair on his, on his feet and washing them with tears, and, and maybe just with groanings of saying, and I, and I know the Lord is sitting there thinking of all the times I spent with this woman. She got it. She understands who I am. She's willing to do what she's doing. Nobody asked her to come and do this. This is coming from her heart, her appreciation for what I've done for her. And, and I, I would say to you that sometimes the lack of expendability and the willingness to pour ourselves out perhaps might come from the fact that we don't think often enough about all he's done for us. And if we would think a little bit more about the fact that you're not, you're not going to die and go to hell, you get to go to heaven, but that's not because of anything you did, that's because of what he did for you. And if you would think about that and appreciate that a little bit more, on a daily basis, you would rise above being just an average Christian and you'd want to do more for him. Now, there's something else here quickly, and that is, I think the motivation came from something else besides just her own appreciation of why she brought this alabaster box. But the Bible says she brought an alabaster box of very precious ointment. And uh, the Lord commends her for doing this and this action and memorializes her for it. You'd say, well, what was so precious about the box? Well, the second, the second motivation here is I believe she placed a greater value upon the Lord Jesus Christ than she did the value of the box. Now, you say, well, that wouldn't be hard. It was just a little box of ointment. No, it wasn't just a little box of ointment. It was a very precious box of alabaster. In not this particular account, but another account, it tells us that it was worth as much as 300 penny worth. That's when Judas said, hey, it had been better if we just, you know, what a waste if we'd been gone ahead and just sold it for 300 penny worth and given it to the poor. Well, I don't really understand a penny worth, but 
I, I have studied it out to know that it was a, equivalent to almost a year's wages. In other words, the box value contained the value of a, a, a year's wages. A penny a day was over 300 penny worth. It's almost a year's wages. So to put it in my perspective, I wanted to think, if that woman came in here today, what would that box be worth today if it was a year's worth of wages? And then I thought, well, it depends on where you live. So I went out on the Internet to find out what the average medium household income is in America. So I went uh, through the eastern coast and Mississippi and Arizona and California and Connecticut and all over the nation. And, and here, here's the average medium household income on the Internet because they, they produce that every single year. Sometimes it goes down a little bit. Sometimes it goes up a little bit. But the average medium household income in America is $45,000 a year. That's the income. Now, you may not make that much, or you may make more, but that's the average. So if, if, if we just place the value of the box at 45000 that's a pretty good sacrifice. <laughs> Think about it. I mean, who, who is sitting here that would walk through the doors just out of their love and appreciation for what the Lord's done for you and say, I'd like to give $45,000 to the Lord? I know there's people that's done that, but they're not the average Christian. They're the ones that are above average. They're the ones that have come to understand and appreciate what the Lord's done for them. But more than that, they value his ministry and him more than they value their possession. You see, when she came in and broke this box, it was one other gospel said it was Judas who led the indignation. It was Judas that said, wow, what a waste. Why, why was this wasted? And really, I can almost hear him saying this. Why did you waste this ointment on him? <laughs> and you know what? I can understand that from a guy that's lost. I understand lost people think that anything you do for God would be a total waste. They think you're totally wasting your time right now being here as a lost person out there on the lake. Why would you want to be in a church giving your money to an offering plate or giving your money to a church or the Lord Jesus Christ, when you could be out fishing or you could be out doing something that you enjoy for yourself. So anything that we're doing right now in this service today to a lost man that has no understanding of what God's done for him by dying on the cross of Calvary would think that anything that we do would be a complete waste of time and energy of what we're doing. And that's what the Bible says that Judas led. But what, what really bothered me is when I read this passage, it wasn't just Judas, because Matthew's account of this said it was all the disciples that said the same thing. Did you read that? But when his disciples, plural, in verse number 8, saw what she had done, they had indignation. They, as plural, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? wasn't just Judas, wasn't just a lost man. Now we're talking about the 11 that were saved in the first church. Not just one who was faking it. Not one that was just lost. So I thought to myself, is it possible that in the first church that Jesus had, that his first members would also think that a box of ointment is more valuable than him and place more value on their possession rather than the one that it's being poured out on? 
Is it possible that if in Jesus' church, saved people would think that it was a waste? Could it not be possible that maybe we've got people sitting in our own churches that have also been the recipients of Jesus' love? And then whenever a preacher gets up and says, hey, we're taking up an offering, uh, you know, and we're trying to give several thousands to world missions, there could be Christians, I'm just saying, could be Christians that are sitting back there standing there going, what a waste of that money. And yet you've been the recipient of the one who poured out his best for you. You'd say, no, I don't think there's any Christians like that. I do, because there was 11 of them and in the first church. Which tells me there's probably sometimes a bigger percentage of people that have been recipients that don't understand what they do is they place the value upon their savings account and their vacationing and their retirements and their possessions and their house and all the things. I mean, uh, we don't have an alabaster box in our culture, but it was the, it was the most expensive most precious thing that a Jewish family would have in their home. I was speaking to this young man who's going to be a missionary to Israel and to the Jews, and I was asking him a little bit about the people, that how they make over there and so forth, and he said most of them are very, very poor. Very poor. I, I probably would say they might have even been more poor even in Jesus' day. And here's a little woman uh, with her sister living in the household. Probably her parents had died. Martha's probably the oldest maybe Lazarus, and, and, and so they're living there trying to take care of things the best they possibly can in the times of Israel, and in this house is a box that, that Mary had saved and kept that was extremely precious. I think probably if it was worth at least a year's wages, it could have likely have been the most precious thing in the house. And when she gets ready to bring it, she brings it and pours it out on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that she placed more value on him than she did the box, but she also placed more value on him than she did her brother. Because prior to this meal, Lazarus, her own brother, is going to die. And it would have been traditional as a family for Mary to have taken this box of ointment that's used for burying and had placed it and gone over with tears and said, we need to anoint... I've been saving this for my brother or my sister or whoever was going to die before me. Or, or if I'd have died, they would have anointed me with it. And, and so I, I would have saw Mary maybe anointing it with him. But no, she kept it in the house, waiting for the time, waiting for the moment, so that when she could give this precious box, she could come and break it out on the Lord Jesus Christ and saying to him, you are more valuable to me than the most precious thing that I've got, and I want to pour it out on you. I've been broken. I've been saved. I've been, I, I, I'm going to heaven, and I don't know any other way to tell you how much that I want to show my uh, adoration and I, my love to you other than to give you the very best that I've got. And that's what she does. And the rest of them are all standing here going, what a waste. What an absolute waste. Why, we could have taken that and sold it and given it to the poor. And, of course, John's gospel says not that Judas cared for the poor because he was nothing but a thief and wanted to steal from the bag. Jesus said this, you have the poor always with you, but you're not always going to have me with you. In other words, you can always do things for yourself and for the world and all of those kind of things. The world's always going to be there. But I'm only going to be here for a short period of time. And if you're going to do anything uh, for me, then you better understand I'm not going to be here all this time. So first of all, it was motivated out of a sense of appreciation. It was motivated out of the sense that she valued him more than she valued her alabaster box. Can I ask you just a question to think on your own? 
What do you value the most in this life? What do you value? I value my Savior above anything else. Here's the closer. I'm not going to take any time with it at all. Verse number 11. For ye have the poor always with you, but me you have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this that this woman hath done be told for a memorial of her. I want to suggest to you that the third thing that motivated her was her perception that, uh, of being able to do something while she had time to do it. I said a few moments ago that this, this meal takes place or this dinner takes place and her actions take place six days before uh, the Passover, before he goes to Calvary. And, I, and I, I'm just, I, you'd say, well, how would she have known that? Sitting at his feet all those times. You'd be surprised what you'll learn about Jesus if you take time to sit at his feet, let him speak to you. You'd be surprised to learn about who he is if you'd put aside the vacuum cleaner and some of these other things that we get so busy about in this life and would just take time to listen to what he's got to say. The more that you do, the more it will cause you to go from being average to being the best you can. And, and, and I'm convinced that that's why he lets us know who the woman was, because he spent a lot of time with Mary. By the way, she also was a recipient of his comfort, because when Lazarus did die, she, he came and comforted Mary and Martha. And so she's here now with the opportunity to give something back, and she understands, if I'm going to do it, I've got to do it now. You say, what, what, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. If you go to Matthew chapter 28 with me for just a moment, and I'll close with this thought. Matthew 28, you don't have to go very far to the right to get there. But actually, Mary Magdalene is mentioned. She's just not mentioned on this night. And Mary Magdalene did want to anoint the Lord's body. So Matthew chapter 28, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and set upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, this would be Mary Magdalene, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now, listen to me. We know from biblical account that there was Mary Magdalene and some other Marys. This other Mary is not Mary, Martha's sister, in another account, it tells us it's Cleophas' wife, or Cleophas, uh, Mary, that Mary. So there was other people called Mary besides Martha's sister. But Mary Magdalene, she goes, and if you remember when Jesus was crucified, and he wasn't crucified on a Friday, <laughs> you can't get three days and three nights from Friday to Sunday morning. So they wait until the uh, Sabbath day is over. Friday was a day of preparation, by the way for their regular Sabbath. Can't work on a Saturday. Can't 
You can't anoint a body on a Saturday. You can't do anything on a Saturday in their culture because that was their Sabbath day. So on Friday was the day of preparation for their regular Sabbath, but the Bible lets us know there were two Sabbaths that week and two days of preparation. And so they waited till the day of preparation, and they went out, and Mary Magdalene spent a lot of money to buy a lot of ointments, and they prepared these ointments. And then they said, okay, we've got all these precious ointments ready to anoint his body. And they waited till the Sabbath was over, and they came early on the first day of the week with these boxes of precious ointment that they had purchased to anoint his body with. And when they get there, they see the stones already rolled away. And they're holding this valuable box that they've put so much value upon. And, and, and the angel says, whom seek ye? And they said, we seek Jesus. Oh, why, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? He has risen. Why, uh, well, oh, by the way, I, I'm just breathing between the lines. I'm thinking the angel might have said, what do you, what, why did you come? Well, we came to anoint the Lord's body with our ointment. And I could see the angel saying, well, it's too late. It's too late. He's already gone. He's already risen. As I thought about that, I'm thinking Mary's sitting back home saying, man, I'm sure glad I got a chance to anoint his body before it was too late. I'm glad I did it beforehand so he could see with his own eyes how much I loved him, how much I valued him. So I understood I didn't have a lot of time. You know what I think the message is? You don't have a lot of time to do what you want to do for God either. I think a lot of people are going to stand before the Lord after the rapture, and they're going to be holding their precious boxes and all their little ointments, and God's going to say, what's that? Well, I wanted wanted to tithe. Oh, it's too late to do that. Well, I I want, here, here. No, it's too late. Hey, let me tell you something. If you're going to show your love and appreciation to the one who did so much for you, Do it while you've got time to do it. Do it before it's too late. Hey, you know what? Fill out a card now. Some of you are going to stand there and go, Lord, I know we've been raptured, but uh, I found this in my Bible, and I never really gave it. And I'd like to fill out a card for missions now. And he'd go, it's too late. Should have done that when I was there. You didn't have me always. Why didn't you give it there? Well, you know, I, I had so many other things to do, and, and, and you know, and we didn't have a big paycheck, and I, I had all the kinds of excuses we would make, but we're going to be standing there just like Mary Magdalene, holding that which she could have given to the Lord, like Mary, Martha's sister, but no, she, they waited until it was too late to do it. And the Lord is saying, hey, I tell you, you know what will motivate you to rise above being average? Is when you begin to realize, hey, I don't have much time to get saved. I don't have much time to do what I'm going to do. I don't have much time to tithe. I don't have much time to sing in a choir. I don't have much time to teach a class. I don't have much time to get to know who he is. I mean, man, the rapture could happen today, and then I'm going to be standing there saying, now I wish that I'd have done it. In fact, I'm convinced that one second after me and you and everybody else that's saved in this room, one split second when you're standing there and you're looking at the Savior, I'm convinced in my heart we're going to be standing there saying, oh, I wish now I would have done it. I wish now it had gone soul winning. I wish now it had been a tither. I wish now it had been more faithful. I wish now it had come back on a Sunday night. I wish now it had done it. But no, we're out there fishing. We're out there doing other things that the world, the world's always going to be there. The world's going to be there even after we're raptured. But he said, gee, you're not always going to have an opportunity to serve me. 
He's saying, hey, you better serve me while there's light because the night cometh when no man's going to be able to work. So if you're going to do it, you've got to do it now. And I'm just convinced that those three simple motivations that I think motivated her is that out of just love and appreciation for what he's done for you and that you value him more than you value your box and you understand that you don't have much time to do whatever you're going to do, you'll do it now. Let me tell you what it'll do. It'll take you from being an average Christian to being memorialized to the point where you are now above average. You'll be above average Christian if you'll incorporate those in your mind. Hey, listen to me. I know, I know it's hard to discipline ourselves in that manner. I'm going to close with what Vance Havner said one time. That the pain of daily discipline will never be as severe as the pain of regret. That's true. I know it's tough to come back. I know it's tough to give. I know it's tough to do it. First of all, he deserves it. But your regret's going to be much more painful than the daily discipline of doing it every day. So remember that. The pain of daily discipline will never be as severe as the pain of your regret for not doing it. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a moment. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that in your heart and your mind, you would be saying in your heart, God, I want to be better than average. Would you give me the grace to do that? Would you give me the grace to give? Would you give me the grace to go? Would you give me the grace to surrender my life? Would you give me the grace to walk down an aisle and admit that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved? Would you help me with that? Because, Lord, I want to be better than just some average Christian. I want to be my best for you. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed, and we're in an attitude. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.